So, to review the beginning of chapter 27 before we go forward. Okay? You are never going to become a holy person. You will never be a holy person. Yeah. The best that you can do, right, is cover over that fact. But deep down, you're not a holy person. You never were a holy person. You're never going to be a holy person. There's nothing you can do about it. And you will be reminded of that on a semi-regular basis by all sorts of, the technical terms are, evil thoughts and desires entering your mind. And the altar ever wants to be very clear that if that doesn't bother you at all, there's a danger that instead of not just being a holy person, you could actually become a wicked person. And that's not good, right? On the other hand, if it does bother you, then you just get down and you won't be able to serve Hashem with joy. So we need a way to... No, not to balance it, but to think about it in a, from a totally different perspective that would change our fundamental story in our head about what it means not to be a holy person so that instead of seeing it as a failing or um, a... a, a rejection and separation from Hashem, it can be viewed in a positive light without taking away the seriousness of, God forbid, moving in the wrong direction and going from being just an unholy person to a wicked person. That's the topic that we're dealing with. Okay. Good? Now, the idea is that you should, in fact, be happy. A person should be happy that um, evil thoughts and desires enter their mind. Why should you be happy that evil thoughts and desires enter your mind? Uh, right. Now, that only makes sense if you're doing the mitzvah, right? Yeah. Okay. And you see the value of the mitzvah. Okay. And that's what the first half of this chapter is about. Okay. Let's make sure that we understand what is the mitzvah actually. So first off, okay, if a person thinks thoughts, as far as Hasidus is concerned, thinking thoughts is a behavior, and just like you can control what you do with your arms and your legs, you can control what you do with your mouth, you can control what you do with your thoughts, right? As learned in chapter four, right? Okay. At what point does thinking become the act, the behavior of thinking? After the thought has occurred in your mind, not before, right? So the presence of the thought in your mind, of it occurring in your mind, is that a behavior? No. no. The minute you're aware of it and you continue thinking that, is that a behavior? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, the Altareb in chapter 12 of Tanya says very clearly, how does a Bainani, right? Because a Bainani is not a wicked person in terms of their choices, right? Mm -hmm. Even though they're unholy and so the wickedness is there inside. How does a Bainani deal with thoughts that occur in their head that shouldn't. Whether it's thoughts that they could eventually work themselves to never have, like thoughts of jealousy, vengeful, spite, those kinds of things. Or it's thoughts that they can never get rid of. They can never, they can never prevent from occurring, like right, thoughts of heresy or immodest thoughts. How does, regardless of what, how does a Bainini deal with those thoughts when they occur? Replaces those thoughts with other thoughts. 
right? And that replacement is done wholeheartedly. What does wholeheartedly mean? Right, like you're not thinking, oh, I shouldn't be thinking this. Like you're like half thinking the thing that you're not supposed to be thinking and then thinking something. Like that. No, no, no. Okay. Um, what? Now, has anyone here driven in a snowstorm or a rainstorm? Yeah. Okay, have you ever driven in a rainstorm or a snowstorm and there's someone else in the car? Yeah. And that person's talking to you. Mm-hmm. And then you tell them, you need to be quiet now. <laughs> right? And you're like, you are focused on the driving. There is no room for it, right? Okay? Right? Okay? What is a bainani? What is a person who, even though they're unholy inside, who's making the right decisions because they have that sense of relationship with Hashem that they've worked on and they're maintaining, how do they react to the occurrence of these thoughts? To the what? How do they react to the occurrence of these thoughts? They completely... Right. What? Occurrence. 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 They completely move their mind somewhere else. Okay? They don't begin to engage and think about how they shouldn't be thinking about those thoughts, how these thoughts are wrong, how these thoughts are bad. Is that something easy to do? No, it's not easy to do, but it's something that is possible to do. And like many things, when you do more of it regularly, you get better at it. Right? Okay. But nonetheless, the fact that these thoughts do occur, right, and especially we're talking about thoughts that you will never be able to free yourself of completely, is an indication of the underlying unholiness in a person who's desiring to have a relationship with Hashem. The knowledge that fundamentally you are unholy, and that is a, that is a life sentence of unholiness, is um, it's hard to deal with. Okay? So the idea is that you should be happy because actually the unholy thoughts entering the person's mind are, is an opportunity to do a mitzvah. Okay, what mitzvah is that? The mitzvah is, we'll read from the quote, that ye seek not after your own heart and after your own eyes, after which ye go astray. I love the yees. You don't like the yees? I like them. Okay. Our translation is different. Yours was updated. What does yours say? Yours is updated. It's got all all sorts of things. Also, yours is the uncensored version. You, okay, fine. Well, I've got ye. Okay, so now, now you'll notice that there are two things here that you are not supposed to seek after your heart, you're not supposed to seek after your eyes. Okay, what is follow? Yes, so what is, what is this prohibiting? So your heart is a reference to thoughts of heresy, and your eyes are reference to immodest thoughts. Okay, is this a prohibition against thinking vengeful thoughts? No. Is there a prohibition against thinking vengeful thoughts? Taking, taking vengeance. What's is there your pro- heart against? Sorry. What? Your, What's your heart? heart? Your heart is heresy. And that means? Heresy? Um, you want well, an like, English? I don't mean what the word means. Oh, what are thoughts mean? of heresy? Yeah. Maybe there's no God. Maybe there's no such thing as prophecy. Maybe this whole Judaism thing is just a cult. Yeah. And immodest thoughts. I think immodest thoughts are self-explanatory. Yeah, no, I'm saying. Okay. What is, and that's what is for eyes, I meant to say. What? Yes. I'm not sure what you're asking. I don't know what I'm asking either. Okay, so like you're walking down the street and then, you know, all of a sudden you start like pops into your mind, you know, maybe the whole Torah isn't really true anyway. Like what am I even doing? Can I say something truthful? Yes. That happens to me all the time. Yeah, I know. It's normal. Why? We're going to learn that. Wait, what? Well, I'm actually going to cry. 
Yeah. And, and of course, because it's forbidden to entertain such thoughts, then you just move your mind off to something else right away, right? Always. Okay. So in, in removing your mind off those thoughts, because it's forbidden to continue thinking those thoughts, you're doing a mitzvah. No, that's assuming That's assuming you do it, because remember, this chapter is not dealing with the, the negativity that we feel because we've made the wrong choice. It's dealing with the negativity. The negativity about who we fundamentally are. Okay. Now, now, who, now what does this mitzvah mean? Not to turn after your eyes. There are two possibilities. Possible number one means that you have the thought and then you reject it. Or, or we could understand the mitzvah as to make it that you don't have the thought to begin with. Where, which is the mitzvah? Have the thought rejected. But how do we know that? It doesn't say that. It says, "Don't turn after your don't turn after, turn your heart and your own eyes." So that expression, that expression says, "Don't turn after your heart or after your eyes." We could understand that the fulfillment of that mitzvah means to change your heart and to change your eyes so that they're not tempting you. It's saying, "Sorry, you're saying you will not follow after means your heart is. It means it has to be something that your heart is having and your eyes are having. Right. And then you're not following that. Well, they don't have desires in your heart and eyes. Yeah, but but one could make the argument yeah. that what does it mean? I mean, yeah, what does it mean not to follow somebody? So you could not follow them in the sense like you're like they're trying to drag you and you're not going, yeah. right? Or you could beat them into submission until like they have no power over you whatsoever, right? There's a range. There's a right. So you could say that the fulfillment of this mitzvah means not simply to banish the thought when it occurs, but actually to Change yourself so you don't have such thoughts, that your heart doesn't have that kind of power to begin with. You could interpret it that way. But that's the wrong interpretation. How do we know? Because the verse does not speak of the righteous, the righteous of tzaddikim, to refer to them as going astray, God forbid, but of intermediaries, benanim, like the person that the altar was talking to. What about changing the wait, wait one second, one second, one second. We have to stay focused. Okay. The thoughts occur. The Pasuk says not to go after your heart, not to go after your eyes, and then it adds a phrase. Okay? The phrase is that you go astray after them. So what kind of person is this Pasuk talking to? A person who could go. So someone whose heart has been transformed to only desire Hashem? No, because that person cannot be described as someone who is going astray. So we need so this is saying this is this is how we know that the mitzvah is only if the thought occurs. Okay? So it's like this. There is a mitzvah that a tzaddik cannot do. Wait, I'm sorry, I'm still confused. The mitzvah is that if you're having these thoughts to like realize, oh my gosh, I'm having these thoughts. No, no, the oh my gosh is is counterproductive. No oh my gosh. No oh my gosh. If you have oh my gosh, you're gonna fail to do the mitzvah. Uh, I just say oh my gosh because I'm dramatic. No, but that's the problem. If you're dramatic, then it's not going to work. <laughs> so, so what's the mitzvah? Can you explain again? Because now I'm confused. The mitzvah is, if I'm having these thoughts, would you use it as a cult to just take it and be like, no, it's not? No. What were you thinking before you were thinking the Judaism was a cult? What did you think before that thought shot up in your mind? I don't know. Like, when I think it, what, why is it coming into my head? No, no, before that. It's because you're struggling. Like, whenever I'm, like, struggling with something or, like, I see something, like, I don't know. Okay, but, but what were you thinking before that? Whatever, about like... No, you're always thinking. So what are you thinking about? I have no idea. Well, that's a problem. You can't really do this mitzvah if you don't take control of what's going on in your thought. 
In other words, so, in other words, you can't do this mitzvah. This is like important. You can't do this mitzvah in a reactive way. But what is this mitzvah? The mitzvah is not going. The, what do you mean? It is a reactive mitzvah. No, 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 it is, but it isn't. Let me explain to you what I mean. Okay, I'm going to give you an analogy. Okay, um, you've heard of the game called baseball? Yes. Yeah. Baseball has one of the most difficult things to do in sports, which is hit a baseball. Because you have an object this big moving around 100 miles an hour, okay, over uh, was it like 45 feet? Yeah. Okay. So and you have so basically by the time the pitcher has throw you see the pitcher throwing the ball you have to swing and you need to hit it exactly. Yeah. It's extremely difficult. Yeah. Okay. In most sports, if you like. If, if, if you can like do something half the time, that's not considered very good. If you can hit the ball half the time in a, in a professional, right? You are like one. Except for lacrosse, like for a lot. Of, like, I mean, maybe I don't know. Giving an example? I'm giving an example, but yeah. from what I've read, the statistics are that hitting a baseball is is just yeah. statistically the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Um, the the failure rate is very very high, which is someone that hits it like one third of the time is considered a good player. Yeah. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, when you're striking a baseball, you can't start swinging before the ball is thrown. Yeah. Because you have to see the pitcher throw the ball, and you have to have some sort of sense of like where the ball is going to be in order to hit it, right? So if you start swinging before the pitcher is thrown, you're, like, the pitcher just throws it where you're not swinging, and then that's the end of that, right? Okay. But if you don't, if you haven't prepared for how to do that, and you just like walk up, you could be a very strong, fit person, right? and they throw the ball, right? You're going to strike out. Why? Because it's happened so fast, right? That you have to train yourself to read the subtlest things, right? And know exactly what to do without any kind of thought whatsoever. Okay? And so the training to hit a baseball, right, is extremely difficult. And so when a person gets up, right, they've, they're, they're not, they're not really reacting because they're, they, they already know ahead of time exactly what to do and they know it in a very embodied way. In other words, it's not a conscious, I know if he does this, then I do that. Right? Your brain is not that fast for you to think through what to do. Yeah. Okay? So now, if a person, um, the way it, it, thoughts that come into their head, they're not supposed to come into their head, that, that are unholy, and they come into their head, and then the person's like, oh, oh, negative thought. Danger, danger, how am I going to react, right? What's going to end up happening is you start dwelling on the negative thoughts and then you're not doing this mitzvah. Because mitzvah is not to think about them at all. The way to do it is to build enough of the right attitude towards these thoughts and enough other things in your inner mind that you have what to go back to, what to link your mind to. That's why I use the example of driving, right? When the, when, when the road commands your attention, right? then you can block out, tell them to just be quiet and just focus on what you're doing, right? But if there's nothing to command your attention, then drowning out somebody else talking is very difficult. So in order to do this, you have to have a strong sense of how wrong they are and be sensitive to it. You have to have a strong desire not to think them because you love Hashem and you fear Hashem. And you have to have enough of, a, of, of a, your own inner mental life to get back to as soon as the thoughts occur. You don't have all of that set up ahead of time. You can't really do this mitzvah effectively. Can you take those thoughts and instead of blocking them? No. Them? No. No. Anything that begins with can you take those thoughts, the answer is no. No, just change them. Like, 
Yeah. No. Just think something else. Why can't you change the because the the issue is what kind of thought we're dealing with. If we're dealing with a thought, which is, again, we're thinking two sides of things. We're dealing with immodest thoughts and heretical thoughts. So any time you're entertaining those thoughts in any way, shape, or form, even by thinking of how they're wrong to think about, and especially if you're going to be dramatic and react to them, Okay? then what you're doing is you're giving that klipa space in your mind. And that's the sin. That's what you're not supposed to do. So it doesn't, it's like it doesn't matter what you think about the thoughts. The fact that the thoughts are part of your mental you know, landscape is the problem. So you, and so like, the, the only way to do this mitzvah is to really take charge of the inner life inside your head. You can't in the mitzvah moment it happens. You're not gonna. You're, you can look. You can. You could practice it, but you're not gonna get very. In other words, if all you do is like, oh, forbidden thought, I shouldn't think. Oh, forbidden thought, I shouldn't think. First off, you're gonna burn yourself out very quickly. Second off, you're not gonna be that effective because you're gonna spend a lot of time thinking about how the thoughts are forbidden, which then just brings the thought kind of recycle and come back. I still don't no, understand. You what have this is. bad. If you have this thought, this horrible thought, and then you're like, let me think about what I'm making for supper, I start thinking about something else. That's not even the point. It's it's not that effective because you're not engaged enough with that other thing. Look, there was there was there was a bacher who was in the Rebbe in Yechidis, was in the Rebbe in Yechidis, and he asked the Rebbe what to do because he has immodest thoughts, and what should he do? So the Rebbe told him he should think about baseball. 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 Why think about something you love? Because right, and there's, there's nothing prohibited about baseball, right? right. And I mean probably Gemara would be better in some like abstract sense, but this Bacher was actually into baseball. And so if he started thinking about baseball and the games, was, yeah, then that was something his mind could be into and completely detached from the, from the immodest thought. It's nice, but he has, like I'm saying, the mitzvah is much more proactive. There is a reactive element, like the hitting the baseball, that you actually have to do, you can't do the mitzvah until the thought comes. But everything else has to be built up in you ahead of time. So a person, like when I was a bacher, like I, I was at, you want a, you want a Febregen thing? When I was a bacher, so I was at a Febregen, and um, the Mishpia, the Mishpia said that, um, he said none of us have thoughts. We don't have our own thoughts. We walk down the street, we see a tree, we start thinking about a tree. We see the bank, we think about a bank. The bank reminds us that we owe money, so we think about money. Then we think about money, we think we can buy with the money, and, right? And so like, what's happening is like, our minds are just like, Absorbing what's ever around us, we don't have any of our own thoughts. You're making up your own thoughts. What? When you're like, based on what you've seen that day, or based on. But then you're just regurgitating all the stuff you've absorbed. And so, if that's how you like live your mental life, then it becomes almost impossible to dismiss. When you try to dismiss, you become overly melodramatic in your own head, and then you just kind of think about how you're not supposed to be thinking the thought, and it doesn't work very well. So to do this mitzvah really means you're taking the relationship with the Shem seriously and you realize that relationship takes place in a fundamental way inside your own mind and therefore you try and really take control of like what do I think about? What occupies my inner life? And is that the kind of stuff I want occupying my inner life? Now the thing is even when you do all of that the unholy thoughts are still going to come and occur. But because you have this you, 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 uh, there was one time a chassid came to the Maggid of Mizrich and asked him, what do I do if I have intruding thoughts? So 
the maggot said you should go to a certain town and meet the certain person. He went to the town, got there late at night, and the um, and uh, knocked on the door and saw the light was on. And someone said, "Who's there?" And he said, "Who he was?" The maggot sent me. He said, "Okay." Didn't open the door. Starts knocking again, and knocking and knocking. It's cold. Let me in. Whole night goes by. He doesn't. Next morning, he opens the door, invites the person in, and and um, invites him to stay in the house. After two days, he doesn't see anything. He said, "I don't understand. The maggot told me that you would teach me how to how to deal with intrusive thoughts." And um, he, the man said, "Well, I already told you when you first arrived. It's my house. I decide who I let in. Like, do you have that attitude about your own head? That if it's my mind." What do I want to fill it with? If that's how you're living your life. Now, the, the unholy thoughts, the immodest thoughts, the radical thoughts will still show up. But if it's different if they're showing up to a person who's living life, this is my mind, and I want to fill it with certain things and not other things. Then when the other things, they have a way of like getting back to what their mind is all about, what they're interested in filling that with. I'll give you an example. Have you ever, have you ever been on the internet? Yeah. Have you ever been on the internet with where you have stuff to do? Yeah. And where it's very clear to you what you have to do? And you were very, and you're very focused on what you have to do. Yeah. Does that? What's that? Now, here's the thing. If it's very clear to you what you have to do, and this is your time to do, and you feel that the time is valuable, and you have to get to something else, right? And so you don't have your time. You don't want wasted. Which is not the mindset we're usually on when we're on the internet, right? But there are times that we really do have to get stuff done, and it's time sensitive, right? Yeah. And then something like an interesting link shows up. So now what happens? Press X and you go back to your you, or so that's the thing. You press X to go back to what you were doing. But if you have nothing to go back to, right, or the thing you were doing wasn't that critical to you, then you're like, oh, I can spare a minute. And then before you know it, it's like three hours later and you go down a rabbit hole and learn about the flat earth and all sorts of disturbing things, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what happens in our minds. Right? All the internet is doing is putting into the physical world what's already was happening in our minds. And so the alchemist is talking about, yeah, doing this mitzvah means there's something that occurs in your mind which pulls you astray, right? It says that you go astray after it, but you don't go after it. Why do you go after it? Not because you're like, oh, it's so bad, it's so evil. It's not because I will get back to it and this has no place, so I move on. This being any worse than what we're talking about. She doesn't like through the day, like, see a tree and start thinking about a tree. He works on it and he gets good at it. At what? That he's denying that he's choosing what he's thinking? So what is he thinking about? Well, I mean, in an ideal sense, he's thinking about his relationship with Hashem or how he can help other people or reviewing his t studies, right? Or yeah. taking time to, like, plan the th decisions that he has to make in the upcoming future. I mean, there's a lot to do, right? Yeah. And if all of that's gone, you can, like, always just contemplate the fact that Hashem is close to you in every moment and try and appreciate that in your surroundings. That's crazy. And, like, so when we say, like, banning and telling like, that's what the person's doing. Yeah. And they're living a very full life because of it, right? But the thing is, even such a person, in the middle there's like this little pop-up that shows up, which is like, you know, in the middle he's appreciating that, like, you know, he's walking down the street and thinking about the, the, what he learned in his Gemara class today, and then, he's, and then yeah, he has to plan the groceries, and then somewhere in the middle of that, all of a sudden thoughts of maybe Judaism is a culture show up. And he gets back to what he's doing because he knows it's fake. He knows it's stupid. He knows it's not real. He knows it's not for him. But, but, and this is the thing. This is what this chapter is about. But he also knows that what is that today about him? 
That means his whole relationship with Hashem is built on and covering over something fundamental that he's unholy. But um, so not good. if something triggers you stop, then it's not a different issue. Yeah, I mean, you could look. There's a lot of thing a person can do. I mean, there's a lot of there's a, we have a separate prohibition, which is the person is not supposed to bring themselves to things that will trigger thoughts that they shouldn't have, right? right. So a person shouldn't walk certain like places and see. In. Right. Random. So the, if you were walking and you saw a billboard that was near and that like triggered something, that's a different issue? I mean, it's related. The thing is like, if you know that the billboards are there, right? Right. Then you shouldn't walk there. If you have to walk there, you shouldn't be, you should walk without looking at them and you should you fill your mind. Like there's a whole thing about, I mean, the same thing is also with heretical stuff. Like if you spend your time on YouTube listening to all sorts of people's ideas about things that are not, that are not consistent with Yiddishkeit, then you're like bringing it on to yourself. That's not what this is talking. It's saying even if you don't do any of that stuff, it's still going to pop into your mind. That's right. That's exactly what the altar was saying. And by the way, the Mithribus says this is true of women as well as men. There's not a gender difference here. Because I was thinking, like, people that have, like, gray thoughts, like, if you gave the example of the Bainani or whatever that's walking, if he's thinking about what he just learned and appropriate thoughts and then randomly it comes, it's so different to my thoughts. My thoughts are not, not good and they're not bad. They're gray. They're just thoughts. I, so then it's so much easier to, it's so much harder to push away. Do you get it? You know. It's harder to push away. It's harder to push away if your thoughts aren't regularly, regularly good. Correct. Correct. That's what I'm saying. If, your, if, your, if your thoughts are just random and gray, then it's, it like blends in more though mm-hmm. it's not appropriate. Right. That's what I said yesterday, that when you shine the light, then you can see that it's dirty. But when the right. light is dim, you don't even notice it. That's right. In other words, doing this mitzvah is like a very, doing this mitzvah means on the one end, the person is really, and again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm describing what it, what it is in the ideal, but there's something we can work on and get better. And being a bainni is something that we should aspire to. We wish something we'd ex- we should expect of ourselves to work. To, 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 okay. to, just one second. So there's a the, yeah, the person is taking, and that that's what makes it so frustrating is you spend all of this effort to really develop this rich inner life that's healthy and holy and pure, and you're really there. And when other things come, you deal with it in the right way, and nonetheless, they still keep coming. Right. And so it just it creates a sense of underlying failure about the whole thing. Yes. So to bring it. The mitzvah is having something in your mind that's pulling you astray, like one of those thoughts, and just put, kind of pushing it and not even going after it. Not, yeah, well, not go, right. Move. Having that in your mind, Judaism is a cult, and then being like, I can't wait to watch Star Wars tonight. Right, right. And there's like, not even react, like, 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 like going back to as if the thought never happened. I have a really question, man. So, like, is it bad to, like, as someone who's like, called Shuba and learning this stuff and hearing this stuff from parents who aren't religious, like, is it bad to like go to a friend or a mashpia or whatever and be like, hey, like, all of a sudden now I'm thinking Judaism is a cult, what do I do? So, so, so you have to differentiate between thoughts and, and, yeah, and questions. Those are not the same thing. Yeah. Questions often, you know, and, and questions, you know, if you're, if you're being bothered by questions, so you have to ask yourself, is there something about myself that I'm ignoring? Something about myself I'm not being honest with? 
you know. And often the question as it shows up in your mind is not really what's bothering you. Yeah. Right? Like, um, I'll give you an example. Like, I have, a, I have a, a student in the men's program. And basically all of his questions come down to the fact that he just feels self-conscious, that he's religious, and all of his relatives are like traditional, like it's easier in some sense if like your relatives are like completely don't know anything, but they're all traditional. And like he just feels very self-conscious about that. And that's underlying like all sorts of other questions. And like every time I talk about all of his other questions and doubts and things, it comes down to the fact that like he just feels very self-conscious and he doesn't know how do I, how do I like deal with my relatives in a way that I com can be comfortable with who I am. And like until he figures out that family dynamic, like it, now it's much harder to face that directly. So the thoughts show up or like maybe I'm being too from maybe this, but then you start like, when he starts talking, being honest, it's like he doesn't have any problem when the app in his, in his, when his family isn't around, he's not thinking about the context of his family. He's like very comfortable with what he's doing. So there's a family issue. Okay, so, so you have to like have some kind of honesty and friends will help with that and figuring out is this just like the unholiness of all human beings that aren't Siddiquim or is this because I'm going through a growth process and we're all going through a growth process at different points in life and when we're going through a growth process not acknowledging what we're dealing with and getting to the bottom of it that's not a helpful thing. Right? Now I have a question. Let's say like in Jamie's example she was like after I'm going to think about it I'm going to go think about Star Wars. Okay? That's not like a not holy, not tape, not holy thought, okay? That's going to be, for me, okay, that's maybe easier than if I'm going to start trying to think of, I feel that myself personally will naturally try to think of like a very holy thought. Which might be a tactic of... Very faking. Well, that might be a tactic of the Itzahara. Itzahara is very I, smart. Like, being very honest, like if I have like a, a not good song in my head, I'll like think of it again. Like, Does that work? Functional. Because I mean, I don't know what's going on in your head, but usually when people do that, yeah. usually what ends up happening is they think about the niggin, and but but and there's like feelings of like some sort of kind of guilt associated with like having, and then the and then what ends up happening is they go back to think about the fact that they thought about the the song they shouldn't have been thinking about, and they kind of flip back and forth for a while in their head, two or three minutes until something else happens in life. Meaning like I like that, like she said, like I'm more gray because that will make it easier to like. I yeah, you need a person needs to. Like, yeah, it's not like like baseball is like here's. Not like tire learning after thinking about immodest thoughts. Well, that depends on the person. That's the point. This stuff mind. depends on the person. It has to be something that your mind engages with. Maybe you can't be convincing yourself. No, it's not about convincing yourself. It is literally. It is literally. It is literally the thought is there. Okay, that's not the thought. Moving back to what I was doing in life. So if you don't have a life inside, it's gonna be you can't be trying to argue yourself this is wrong at the moment. That's, that's not going to be effective way of doing it. That's not, not thinking the thought. That's thinking about the thought in, in some other way. Yeah. I have two, two questions. So if you're unable to push the thought away with, let's say, oh, I'm about Star Wars instead, is that like a big room? Is that like a sin? If you're like... Like thinking about like if I dive into the oh my gosh is Judaism called start thinking about it looking up doing some research da, da, da. like that's because I'm probably seeking an answer so like what you're saying it's an underlying thought not necessarily but is it a bad thing like to sometimes do that I'll tell you something about about when you have real questions one of the ways of knowing that you have a real question is that you can talk about it later it's a good test when something's really bothering you that needs to be dealt with then you can tell yourself this is an important issue I should make time to deal with it. 
tomorrow, three o'clock. Okay. And if you can't do that, meaning like if you forget about it, that's either you can't do it, you can't let go of it till later, or what? what's it? Yeah. Or alternatively, or alternatively, and then get on with your life. Or alternatively, when later comes, it just doesn't speak to you anymore. Then that means it wasn't really that. So it was your unholiness. Yeah, just your unholiness, like playing a good and game. And that's okay. I mean, it, it, it depend, it, I don't mean like, oh yeah, it's okay, I mean, like, that's normal. Yeah. yeah. Like, real problems are things we can get back to. Yeah. Again, if your person is struggling with, like, mental illness and fundamental, or they're just a child, then that's not true. What I'm saying is true if a person is reasonably mentally healthy. Right, if you have a financial problem, right, and you're reasonably mentally healthy and stressing you out, right, you can say, you know what, there's nothing I can do about this till tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I still have, like, you know, dinner and the kids' homework and, like, having tea with my wife, so like, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Yeah. And like, you know, it takes a minute or two and you get out of it and you move on in life, right? But that's a thing that adults can do, unless like you, like something has happened and like your normal mental capacities are broken down for some reason. Which could also happen. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but something that's a real issue should be able to get, say like, I'm gonna deal with it later, I'll get back to it tomorrow. Yeah. And, and then you'll often find that when you're getting back, you're coming, because then, then you're actually gonna approach the issue in a genuine way. You're like, okay, what is really bothering me? Do I need to speak to someone? Maybe I should journal about it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, think about it in the mental health context. Most people, even with mental health issues, are able to schedule an appointment with someone for later and deal with it then, right? It's the rare case that you have to speak to a professional now, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I still see myself convincing. A lot of people try to do it, and like, when you're in a like super inspired mode, that might even work, but it doesn't work all the time. I'm saying I don't see myself like how I can't convince. Because the thing is, you have to have a, because the, the, you can't be not thinking the thoughts because they're forbidden. You have to be not thinking the thoughts because these are not the kinds of thoughts that have a place in the life that you're trying to live. That's what, and that means you actually have to trying to live that life. It really comes with a whole like. That's right, 100%. It's not I mean, like an active, nice little thing. No. And that's what makes the frustration all the more real, right? Because if it's an add-on thing, it's working, it's not working, like you can always like, but this is like your whole life. Right. And then it keeps getting thrust in your face that on some level there's something seemingly feels fake about the whole thing. Okay, so the point is that there's this mitzvah you're doing, and if you're doing the mitzvah, which again, this chapter is presupposing, we're talking about to the degree the person is actually doing this mitzvah, then you should be happy that you're doing the mitzvah. And the mitzvah only applies to a non-sadik because the mitzvah doesn't just say, don't go after your heart and your eyes. It, mean, it says, going astray. So it's the person who the heart and the eyes still pull them astray, meaning a non-sadik. Okay, so first to them. In whose minds enter erotic thoughts, whether of an innocent nature and so on. When he averts his mind from them, he is fulfilling this injunction. Okay, so the, the moving, right? So can Star Wars be a mitzvah? If you let go of the thought that maybe Judaism is a cult and and into Star Wars is fun, then at that moment, by thinking about Star Wars, you just fulfill the mitzvah. And not just a rabbinic mitzvah, but a biblical mitzvah. And what have we learned about mitzvahs? Mitzvahs are great, right? We should rejoice in doing mitzvahs. Right? So this is a mitzvah that only non-Siddiquim can do. Right? That's a, just a ma- matter of like, do you care enough about the class and like, are you mature enough to control your thoughts? No, but like, is, could it ever be that that one thing that could be the thing that 
helps you push away the other thing is Yes, yes. There's a different chapter, which is chapter 28, which deals with distracting thoughts during Torah learning and prayer in general. That's a separate issue, yeah. So the baseball is fine for walking down the street. The stars is fine for like grocery shopping if it's to make sure that these other thoughts aren't occurring. But when it comes at the expense of, you know, when you should be thinking about Torah and Hashem, and uh, then, then it's a problem. Right. Which we've saw, we know this idea about other things. There's many things in the world that if used the right way, they can be made holy and used the wrong way. They're unholy, right? Yeah. There you go. Good? Okay. Indeed, the rabbis of Blessed Mary have said, he who has passively abstained from committing a sin receives reward as though he has performed a precept. What does that mean? That if you don't sin, you're rewarded as if you fulfilled the mitzvah. So what is an example of not sinning? So for instance, right now I've not murdered anybody in the past 24 hours, nor... Have I eaten pork? So, you know, I also have not offered sacrifices outside of the temple. I have not made statues to be worshipped by other people, nor have I worshipped any statues myself. Right? We can make a long list of all of the 365 negative mitzvahs that I've done. Probably I've violated a few of them, right? But we won't talk about that in public. <laughs> so, do I get rewarded for all of the, all of the sins I haven't committed? No. No. Because what does it mean if you passively abstain from committing a sin? What does it mean to passively abstain from committing a sin? Yeah, but what does that mean? You're not actually making a conscious effort. You're just not doing it. No, so but you're not even having a desire. No, no, no. Abstaining means you have a desire. So but you don't have a desire to murder? Which is why I don't get rewarded for that. Right. Do you get rewarded for every second that you don't do something that you don't understand? No, that's exactly the point that I'm making. When does it count that you abstained? What? That's right. If you desire to murder, it's like, when do you get to do the mitzvah of not speaking Lashon Hara? That's right. So when do you get to the mitzvah of not going after your heart and your mind? your heart and your eyes that make you astray. When you get the intrusive thought and you don't continue thinking about it. When you get the thought, what about if it's just your personality? Like if someone in general someone who likes to murder and doesn't murder. Okay, that's an extreme. Like if I would in theory love to wear an old tennis clothes and I don't, I'm going to miss the like every time I wear tennis clothes. Okay, Wait, don't you? Well, that... There's remember there's a difference between there's a difference between positive and negative mitzvahs. If you do a positive mitzvah, you did a mitzvah. If you don't do a negative mitzvah, it's only a mitzvah if you keep picking shop to keep picking shop and If you don't say Lashonara, it's a mitzvah. So it's only if you have you don't do that's it. a mitzvah. Right now I'm not doing mitzvah pronouncing this or not. Right. I don't know. There's so many times where you're doing a positive mitzvah and a negative mitzvah. Right. So right. It depends. Some mitzvahs have double, some don't. Not all of them depend on the mitzvah. But the sneeze example could be or can't be. Well, sneeze is complicated what category sneeze right. goes into. Okay, so I'm avoiding I'm avoiding right. that because yeah, it's halakhically complex. So a different example. I wish it wasn't. I almost that. What? It's not a practical question. There's a lot of... See, one thing you should know about rabbis, when rabbis say things are interesting and complex, it doesn't necessarily mean on a practical level they're complicated. (laughs) On a practical level, they can be quite simple. It's just the theoretical legal construct is complicated. Why? What's the source, and then what falls under that? Is it, what's biblical, what's rabbinic, is it a positive, is it a neg... I'll give you a very practical... Okay, one practical example. Okay. No, I get it. Um, one of the rules of Tznias is that a married woman has to cover 
her hair. Yes? Yeah. What? But that one has the most complicated arguments. Is it biblical? Is it not? Is it from what does it mean? Okay, so, so there's a there's a question whether is, is that a positive commandment or negative? Forget, forget. Is it positive or is it negative? Well, that's what depends on. If the source is one thing, then it's positive. Source is something else, it's negative. Right. Now, um, how much do you, if you if you have to like lose your limbs in order to do a positive mitzvah? Like, if someone says that the only way you can do a mitzvah is if they'll, you know, they'll like they'll give you tefillin when you're in a Let's say the only way that you're gonna get the only way to let you code the Megillah reading is if you if you chop off your arm. Do you have to chop off your arm in order to go hear yeah, Megillah reading? It's also meant to keep no. your body healthy. There's no such mitzvah. It's a drush. It's not. A, it's okay, not such. Okay, everyone's so healthy. Yeah, it's, it's not really. I thought, I thought we were doing mitzvah wearing gloves. No, you're not. So. There's a dispute whether one of the differences is a positive mitzvah. You don't have to date. You don't have to lose your limbs over it. And you also there's there is a threshold of how much money you have to spend. With the exception of certain mitzvahs, if it's too expensive, you're exempt from doing the mitzvah. So like let's say tefillin right now. The going rate in the market of tefillin is let's say um, like really, 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 really good tefillin. Let's say it's like something like six thousand shekels, eight thousand shekels. Shekels? Yeah. It's not that much. I thought in dollars it's that. No. For one pair of tefillin, that's like really, really good tefillin. Oh. Okay. Oh, okay. I still don't. Okay. So now, what if? No, you can get them for tefillin much less. But I'm mean, so now. Let's say, let's say, let's say you're on a place and there's only one pair of tefillin, and the person is only willing to sell it for you. For a hundred thousand shekels, and if you don't pay a hundred thousand shekels, they won't you put on film. Do you have to spend a hundred thousand shekels to get the film? The answer is no. Okay. Yes. On the other hand, if someone, how much money do you have to lose in order to avoid committing a negative sin? Negative mitzvah. All your money. You have to go bankrupt over it. Right. So if it's a choice of eating kosher food or eating non-kosher food, but if you eat the kosher food, you're going to have to spend millions of shekels. And if you eat the non-kosher food, you'll be, you won't have to spend a lot of money. Really? You're not allowed. You're not allowed to eat the non-kosher food because the kosher food is too expensive. It doesn't matter how expensive it is, because you're not allowed to commit a sin in order to save yourself money. So now it's very important, right? If a woman's head covering, that's really difficult. It is very difficult. If a woman's head covering is is a positive mitzvah. Well, no, okay, no, the real issue comes about because if a woman is divorced, where a divorced woman covering her hair is rabbinic, so there's more room to be lenient, and then there's an extenuating circumstance of not covering her hair. Isn't that an opinion? That's following the opinion that a divorced woman is rabbinic also. But that's what I'm saying, is when you say, but but like on a day-to-day basis, it's like not interesting questions, but on like, it's not like, it doesn't have any practical consequences, but there are interesting weird cases where the legal, issue comes about. Getting back to our discussion, okay? If a person wants to be considered that fulfilling a positive mitzvah, a negative mitzvah, they have to actually have means and motive. Means means the ability to sin, and motive means if you don't have means and motive, the not sinning is not a mitzvah. No, on I mean, a very basic level. That's, 
Yeah. Now, no, the, 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 answer, the answer is that these things can exist on subtler levels. On a basic level, the answer is no. Right. Okay. Yeah. So now, therefore, consequently, he should rejoice that his compliance with this, with this injunction has been performing an actual positive precept. So remember chapter 4, we learned how great it is to do a mitzvah? Mm-hmm. So, and how you should, if we really got what we learned in chapter 4, you would feel amazing about the idea that you're doing a mitzvah? Yeah. So therefore, what's Alter was saying, if those thoughts occur in your mind and you are dealing with them the right way, is that a reason for sadness? No. no. It's not contrary to reason. Right? Your inner unholiness is like matzah on Pesach. Without matzah, you can't do the mitzvah of matzah. Without the inner unholiness, you can't do the mitzvah of leisosuru. And you should therefore have tremendous joy. So would you rather never have the thought or would you rather have the thought and push it away? That's where the altar is going to next. Now that we've established it, yeah? Favorite person in the world. Yeah, which is better? Or is she even thinking of it in terms of better and worse? Yeah, but the whole problem is that you don't feel good about who you are. No, so I'm saying in the case of the baby, it's not what's better, that's what's gonna happen. Why not? If a tzaddik is better, then I want to be a tzaddik. Why would I don't? So then I feel bad about that. That was the problem. Like, you tell a person, you know, you know, he's like, I really want to be a baseball player. And you tell the person, well, I mean, that's nice, but you're a paraplegic, so you're not playing baseball. You should just accept that. And you're like, but I want to be a baseball player. You're like, yeah, but that's not who you are. That doesn't make the person happy, does it? Okay. Okay. Your mom doesn't like this? That's sad. I said, what if people do 500 All right. So now the question is, since this is actually an obvious point, right? That you're doing a mitzvah, right? So then why are you sad? Right? What's going on? Why are you sad? sad. Yes, that was the whole point, is to deal with the sadness, right? So the altar begins, on the contrary, such sadness is due to conceit. And that he does not recognize his position. Hence he is sad at heart because he has not attained the rank of a tzaddik inasmuch as the righteous certainly not troubled by such foolish thoughts. For had he recognized his station that he's very far from the rank of tzaddik and would that he be a bani and not a wicked person even for a single moment throughout his life then surely this quality of uh, 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 and then surely this is the quality of the service of the bani and their service to subdue the impulse and thought arising from the heart to the brain and completely divert the mind thereof thrusting temptish raise both hands as explained earlier which basically means like this why are we sad? Because we're arrogant. Now, we have to explain what this means. Okay. Here's the thing. And it's not fully fleshed out what he's saying here. Because let me ask you a question. Would you rather be a tzaddik or a bainani? Someone asked you. Why? No, no, the answer, no, the answer, no, 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 no. No one's asking you what you're supposed to answer. What would you answer? What would you rather? Why? Because then you don't have to work hard. Then you don't have to work hard. Loves you if you're Hashem loves you if you're tzaddik too. I know, but I'm talking, you know. So you'd rather? You could be so cool. You could help people. You don't have any struggles in the way. 
But you don't have the same kind of communication. Being a comic, you do the stuff that you don't have, you don't have desires or anything. You're not like walking the street and you're like, oh my gosh, I want about it. By the way, being a tzaddik is harder, just to let you know. It's different kind of hard. Okay. It's like, like being an angel. It's because it's no, tzaddikim are not like angels. No, no, I'm saying like, similarly, it's like, I'd rather be an angel. So, have you heard of, of Rebzusha Manapoli? Yeah. So Rebzusha, when he was on his dying uh, days, is lying on his deathbed, he was crying. You ever heard this story? You ever heard this story? And so his students asked him, why are you crying? And he said, when I come to heaven, I'm not afraid if they ask me why I wasn't Rabbi Akiva, because I'll tell them. I'm not Rabbi Akiva, they ask me why I wasn't Moshe, I'll tell them I'm not Moshe. When they say, Zusha, why weren't you Zusha? What am I going to answer? It's a very scary question, right? What's the message of the story? Be your full potential. Be your full potential, be yourself, right? Okay, that's not the message of the story. Because the story has a background story. Okay? Reb Zusha once asked, what, once asked, what would you rather be? Would you rather be yourself or would you rather be Avraham? Avram. You could be Avram Avino, like fully. Or yourself. What would you rather be and why? So let's go around the room. What would you rather be? Yourself or Avram Avino? Like if you're Avram Avino, you really be Avram Avino. Like you get all of the like awareness of Hashem and everything. But you could, but you'd have all the power and all the ability to, to deal with that difficulty. But you want to know that right. cool. I like being me. Okay, so I which would you pick? Like after the fact? Your life, you would get to switch. You would be Avravino and live his life, and he would be you and live your life. No, so it's before be. the fact. So you don't know you have the strength to overcome. You also don't know you have the strength to overcome your problems. Okay. I But you would feel what he felt, and you'd be motivated by what he was motivated by. Right. Okay. You, if I had everything, then I wouldn't be me as Avram. That's right. You would be him. Okay. So there'll be all the different. Like there's no answer to that question. No, I'm saying. I'm saying that like. Yeah, you wouldn't be Jamie as Avram. You wouldn't be Jamie. You would be Avram. But I wouldn't be Jamie as Avram. Right. Avram as Avram. Yeah. Would you want to? Would you make that switch? No. No. Why not? I mean, I mean, yeah, but no. Why yes? Why no? Because I can't comprehend what it is to be. Like okay. So no, because you can't comprehend, and why yes? Why yes? Because he's Avram Avinu. Why would I not want to be him? That sounds, that sounds like pretty reasonable. Both sides of that. Anyone have any other arguments for what they want to say? No, he's a great job. If you wanted to become him, you wouldn't know if he even did everything that he potentially could have done. And then if you're not being him, you're going to be in that place wondering if he's reaching your full potential. Like, there's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, but you have that same problem in your own life now. That doesn't, that doesn't know different. Except you get a, have but, a direct connection to God. No, exactly. <laughs> you still go through the struggles, but you get a... You do get that that whole that whole being the divine chariot and like having God talk to you personally. Yeah, right. Plus, plus, you don't get to say God of my forefathers, right? My God. It's just your God, and that is like I guess that's an upshot, maybe. That's scary. Do you know what Zusha's answer was? No. What do you think his answer was? You know, Zusha said, Zusha says, I don't, Zusha said, I think it's a silly question. Because at the end of the day, Hashem would have only one Zusha and one Avram. 
So it doesn't really make a difference. Like what I was saying. No, it's not like what you were saying. Lucy was saying if she was not brown, this is a different answer. This is saying that the perspective to look at the question is not from being Avraham or being Zusha. Right. There's a Zusha. The world has one Zusha and the world has one Avram, right? At the end of the day, the world is going to look the same if there's one Zusha and one Avram, right? So does it really matter who's the Zusha and who's the Avram? But that's the pro- Everybody has free will, but that's the thing. Everybody has free will. Okay. Nobody, the free will thing is not the issue. No, not for real, but I think at the end of the day, though, in that question... Yeah, but if you would be Avram, you would Avram Avram's abilities, Avram's awareness, Avram's capacity to make the kind of choices he made, and, and uh, you know, Avram also made wrong choices, right? I don't know. Okay, so what's the... The Rebzusha's point was like this. Rebzusha's point was, why is the focus that I'm looking for is some kind of achievement of self? Like, that's the framework we're like looking at myself and like, what would be better for me? What would I like more? What would feel more fulfilling? What would be, like, that's the framework of which we're using to try and answer the question. And maybe we come down clearly in one way, maybe we're confused because, you know, there's arguments both sides. But the framework we're using is, what would make me feel better about myself? And what was Zusha saying? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. Every person serves Hashem in a certain way. At the end of the day, Hashem, and I'm going to use it this way, you say it this way without, like, we go in the chapter, I'll, 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 I'm going to not use these words, but for now we'll use these words. Hashem has certain roles that need to be fulfilled, and it really doesn't matter which one you get, because whatever you get, that's serving Hashem. And if that's what you care about, then why are you so preoccupied that someone else has some other role, and you don't have that role? Now that I'm thinking about what you're saying, it's so, oh yes, it's so us to answer the answer that we <laughs> and so what's the altar is saying is the altar is saying oh you should just accept the fact that you're a bainini and the bainini's not in the no he's just saying it's like this everybody serves Hashem right you being upset or down or miserable because you don't have something means that your whole focus is not about serving Hashem it's about yeah. it's about you so what's the answer to the beginning question of Tanya? If I think that I'm an unholy person inside, I'm going to feel down about myself. And if I don't care about that, then I'm going to become wicked. What's the third option? Focus, instead of focusing about what it says about me. If I, right? The whole problem comes because I'm thinking about, okay, if I'm unholy, then that's not good for me. Right. If I don't care that I'm unholy, then I'm going to start making bad choices. Right. But what if like, I'm not, the framework in which I'm thinking of this is not about what's in it for me and what it says about me and what I've achieved and whether I feel fulfilled in what I'm doing, but whether or not Hashem is getting out of me what he needs from me. What he needs from me. So if that was my focus, I wouldn't have someone had a bad thought? Oh, if you dealt with it right. If you dealt with it wrong, that's sin. That's different. What? So we're, in the case where we dealt with it right, there's a case where he would still get upset? If he was arrogant. You could be a bane and he was a bit self-absorbed. Meaning he would deal with it right, follow and then be like, because he's no, he dealt with he dealt with the thought right, but yeah. he's being a bane. Why does he want to be a bane? Because he wants to have this relationship with him. Why is he having this relationship? Because he wants he wants to be a holy person. He wants yeah. to have a deep, meaningful life. He wants to be spiritual. He wants to be. He wants to be. So his whole relationship with God is grounded upon what does this relationship do for me. me? And then it's thrust in his face that on some level he's like running on a treadmill, not going anywhere. And now how does he feel? Horrible. 
Right. And what the Altar is saying here is, like, instead of realizing that you serve Hashem, and he's going to flesh it, that you serve Hashem the way he wants you to serve him, and other people serve the other way, you're, you're absorbed about, like, why have I not achieved this, and why haven't I achieved that, and that's the problem. It's not about you achieving, it's about, is Hashem getting out of you what Hashem needs from you? And that's it. Right, that's it. And if that's the, so, so there's, 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 there's kind of two kinds of banity. There's the banity who's in service of himself. He's having a relationship with Hashem. And he's not sinning. And he loves Hashem and fear of Hashem and all of these things. Da, 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 da. But why? So that he can be fulfilled spiritually. And there's another person who's doing all of that. Why? For Hashem. For Hashem. Because this was what you were created for. And that it's about bringing out something and now if you go back to the first Zusha story, he said, what was Zusha, what was Zusha afraid about? He's going to come to Shemaim and they're going to ask him, Zusha, aren't you Zusha? And the question is not, Zusha, did you live up to your potential? Zusha, did you fulfill everything you could have been? The question is a much dangerous question, a much yeah. scarier question. Zusha, did I get everything out of you? That's what Hashem's going to ask. Did I get everything out of you that I was supposed to get out of you? Did you provide for me, for God Almighty, everything that God, you were supposed to provide? Most of us. Oh, right, but well. doesn't that mean the outcome of that mean that sometimes in life you're going to be upset that you didn't achieve certain things because you know you could? That's chapter 26. That's not chapter so 27. Chapter 27 is the right. feeling bad because the thoughts occur. Not because you made the wrong decisions. Right. If you made the wrong decisions, that ultimate says that's a problem. You should feel bad. But like we spoke about today, if it's oh, a real problem, yes, he says very clearly. He says you should feel bad. You should. When should you feel bad? Generation. I always say yesterday. I'm not getting involved in that. When should you feel bad? And how should you feel bad? In a constructive manner. Constructive yeah. manner is never now. It's usually later. Right. Okay. You you want the the real answer to this? Okay. That's why a person needs a rebbe. Because when a person has a relationship with the Rebbe, the Rebbe gives them a sense that it's not all about them in a way that you can't do for yourself because if you're doing it for yourself, then it's all grounded in you. Why? Why? Yeah. Because why shouldn't it be about you? Because I know. Because you know. And you, so, so, and you know, and you have this deep underlying sense of having integrity and, and doing the right thing because doing the right thing makes you feel good. And if you know you're doing it for yourself, then it's not the right thing. So it means deep down under all of that, it's not about me, it's really being motivated by it's about you. Something that speaks about in my marm. That when a person, up, no, my marm. That when a person knows it's not about me and they're convinced of that and they live that, but that's something they arrived at on their own, all about that. It's not right. It's not that it's not right, but the ground, the, the unspoken motivation behind all of that is I want to be perfect you know and I want to do what's right because I, I can feel proud of myself. How do you know if it's coming from you or if it's coming from your Rebbe? Maybe, maybe I think it's me, it's the Rebbe. Well, the answer is it's always going to be a blend of the two. Obviously. But also, who came to the conclusion? The point is that you didn't come to the conclusion yourself. That's right. If you came to that conclusion, then yeah, like, let's say I came to the conclusion through learning, my mother, and through like. But but the but but the thing is like the, the thing is like the, the thing the thing is like this, is that there's a there's there's a reason why there's something in Hasidus that is not the ideas. The ideas are a packaging. So when you take vitamins, 
You can't just like inject your body with iron. It's not going to work. You need to package the iron such a way your body can absorb it. So the, what actually in the Hasidus is something else. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a godly awareness that's being shined by the soul of the tzaddik. The ideas are a way of getting it into you in such a way that it gets absorbed. You can learn Hasidus without a rabbi. What? You can learn Hasidus without being connected to the rabbi or being like being a busher. No, but I'm saying based on what you just said, so ultimately it is from the rabbi. If it's if, if, if you're learning, learning. If, so that's the whole idea of Chabad Hasidus is that is that you can get the influence of the rabbi in, in this kind of a package. But what makes it work is actually not. I mean, this is why you can learn Tanya and have it explained to you wrongly. But if it's being learned in the right way and, and from, from the right values and from the right attitude, yeah. um, then the ideas like carry within them this, this thing and they, they bring that out of the person. So, okay. so, I mean, if you want the real answer, the real answer is like this is. This is yeah, but I'm saying you can still do it and still be doing it in the wrong place. That's true. Why, why, why because that person has free will. So not, I know, I'm saying also you could be learning from a very intellectual place. You could be saying, I know, I'm there's you know, you, 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 you know the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Chabad Rebbe says that he hates people who learn Hasidus for the intellectual stimulation yeah. more than he hates heretics. Because yeah. heretics at least eventually do tshuva. But I'm thinking, like the answer is like, where do I find the button to myself to push and make it out me? And the answer is the sense is not coming comes from outside of me, comes from beyond me. Right. Now, how that gets to you? It's not so clear. Like, let's say I know that it's not about me. I know for sure it's not about me. Not so clear if that's coming because of my rebel, because of what I'm learning. But those, but that, that, that's. But, but those are, but those are not two different things. Right. But when you try to make them two different things, then it becomes less effective. So I have to know that all the learning I'm doing is ultimately. I mean, this is why, like, this is why, like, the most effective way of learning Hasidus is to actually, like, think of the Alter Rebbe and 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 whichever Rebbe you're learning is a real person, and what they're doing is they're speaking to you, and they're not speaking about some abstract idea, and they're actually talking to you. And, and and that makes it go in better, for sure. Yes? If we stop doing things like taking away the bad thoughts, they're going to land up being about us because we're going to feel good about ourselves because we're not having those bad thoughts anymore. So it lands up being about ourselves even if we try to not make it about ourselves. So... I'll give you a metaphor. The halacha is that if one passes gas while davening, you can't continue davening. Do you know that? What did you say? You're not allowed to continue davening until the smell has dissipated. Can you walk away? You can. I never like yell at your mom while she was changing the diaper, like, uh-uh. Okay, so now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Do sometimes... Okay, okay. We're gonna, do sometimes people pass gas? It happens? Yeah. Okay, so what do you do? You wait, or you move, and you move on in life. Feelings of... The way Hasidus talks about this idea of, self, of feeling fulfilled and proud of yourself, it's like, it's like psychological flatulence. It happens... It doesn't smell very good from a Hasidic perspective. Like, wait till it dissipates and move on. Don't make a big deal about it. That's a good one. And that's, um, 
Yeah, that's just, I mean, the, 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 the trying to be free of any feelings of self-fulfillment is itself a way of becoming absorbed with yourself. It's mm-hmm. a hard chapter. Can you say that again? Trying to be free of any feelings of self-fulfillment is also a way of being self-absorbed. Everything Which is that's also it's all. The, the, the Rebbe Rishab said that what defines a chassid is a chassid. What defines a chassid is a chassid is that the chassid, with their own efforts, engages in something higher than themselves that causes them to not be so obsessed with themselves. And so it, it, it's like what? when you learn chassidus and you have a, the Rebbe's vision. And you have obviously all for other people, and you make your life about that, and you thrust your mind into that, and you're not so worried about like, okay, I'm a little holier, I'm a little less holy. Like, like, what's that's not, not the point. The point is, is the light that's supposed to come out of my avoda coming out in the world? Okay, if it is, good. If it's not, then I have to figure out what to do differently, and that's it. And move on. And the, the, the arrogance here is not just like it's not just a, a, a crass. I want to be better than everyone else. It's the sense of like the, that a person is turned everything to a story where they're the main character. And th- that's the underlying thing, is that you're not the main character. You're playing an important role, and do that role, and, 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 and that's it. Mm-hmm. But, and that role in the, requires there to be an unholiness deep inside of you that doesn't go away. Okay, so fine, that's, that's, that's not a bad thing. Mm. And that's, in some sense, the essence of the whole time is this, this shift in thinking. It's not, no, we have to go on to say, explain what, there's more that is explained here because we have to explain like, what, what, what are you, what, what are you, what is the way that you're serving Hashem, which is, which is, different than the tzaddik because if you don't understand what's different than the tzaddik then you're just redundant and then you're not really serving a role and then there isn't something unique being brought out of you so that's the author is going to explain how the bainini is is serving Hashem in one way the tzaddik is serving Hashem in another way and those two things are just not commensurate with each other you can't really think of them as better or worse there's just Hashem has place for both and he needs both roles he needs one Avram and one Zusha and like it doesn't matter which one's Adam, which one's the Zusha, as long as there is an Avram and is a Zusha. So the, he needs some Tzadikim and some Bain in him. And like, you, okay, so you're a Bain. Like, well, why is that a bad thing? But it is a bad thing if you're thinking of yourself in terms of some kind of spiritual growth and fulfillment. And that then, <laughs> who wants who wants demonic forces of hell living inside of them? Nobody. Nobody. Right. Okay. Well, but that's what is inside of us. Yes. So, what about the mind? So there's, I, I'm not going to answer you other than to say this is a major discussion, Hasidus, because the answer is clearly some of that needs to be done, otherwise we're not functional. Mm-hmm. And clearly that can get out of hand and countermand the whole thing. So how does that dealt with is, is itself one of the major issues in Hasidus. In other words, 
It's kind of like, you know, being healthy is not a mitzvah, but if you're not healthy, you can't do very many mitzvahs. <laughs> so, like, how do you deal with that? Okay. Like, if you get, if you hear this message, you start to, like, it gives a different frame for thinking about everything. Yes. You are, there was, there was, there was, there was somebody, there was, there was somebody, he's a big Rosh Hashiva now. But he was like, like I say, he was, that's who he is, he's still alive. Um, when he was like 18 years old, he wrote a letter to the Rebbe. He wrote a letter to a lot of big G'daylim uh, that he basically felt very, very down because, you know, when, by the time they were 18, it would be Kiva Eger to achieve this and the Chassam Sefer to achieve that. Like, this is a person who was, he's a genius, but he wasn't them. And he hadn't achieved at the age of 18 what any of these great G'dayli soldiers achieved. And so he wrote feeling very down. And some people wrote things like, every person has to achieve their own potential, or someone wrote back to him that maybe if you, tr if you try harder, you never know what you can achieve. And like he just, none of these things. And then the Rebbe wrote back to him, and the Rebbe says, since when is life about achieving your own potential? Every one of us is here to serve God, and the way we have to serve God is the way we should serve God. And stop worrying about whether you've achieved X, Y, and Z, and start worrying about, is God getting out of you what he wants out of you? And that was like a big shift in his thinking. Why am I upset that I'm not? If I'm upset that I'm a Russia, that makes sense, because that's, that's wrong. But if I'm upset that I'm not a Tzad, you get that show, like, why? Yeah. The answer is because it's on some level about the story where I'm the main character, and that's the problem. So. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm.